Hello and welcome to episode 26 of your favourite exchange, Lincoln Office 365 podcast, the UC Architects. Recorded on Friday the 9th of August 2013 and coming to you live from the UK, USA, Belgium, the Netherlands and Norway. I'm your host, Steve Goodman, Exchange MVP, and I'm joined this week by some of my regular co-hosts, Pat Richards, Stile Hansen, Johan Veldas, Michael Van Horenbeek, Justin Morris, and Michelle Delroy. We've got a plethora of exchange and link topics to talk about this week, including our top stories, the Gartner UC Magic Quadrant for 2013, and some scary security patches for exchange. But before we get started, let's find out how everyone is. I've been working on an interesting Office 365 and Azure project for the last few weeks, along with the usual writing and getting my sessions ready for Exchange Connections. And after a busy few weeks, I'm certainly ready for the weekend. Pat, what have you been up to? Uh, well, glad to finally be back on with you again, Steve. Um, yeah. Working on uh, closing up a couple of projects, uh, actually in Exchange uh, 2007 to 2013 migration, and uh, a link health check and AD health check project, and getting ready to head over to a large uh, OCS to uh, link 2013 migration with Enterprise Voice. So uh, looking forward to that. So that's been a bit of a mixed few weeks then by the sounds of it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I typically stay with link, but uh, had had some cycles available and jumped on an exchange project to help somebody out. Stale, how's it going? I'm uh, fine, thank you. What have you been up to? Well, uh, it's been a couple of episodes since I've been here uh, last, so um been on uh, vacation. Um, and uh, Anywhere nice? Uh, Barcelona, uh, and uh, traveling through Germany and Denmark and Sweden uh, with car. So, yeah, it's a, a good vacation. And it's also painting in my garage. <laughs> painting? Yeah. Art or just getting it tidied up? No, it's... Uh, what one color paint on the garage? All oh, right, okay. I thought for a minute you were going to tell me you're a bit creative. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, lately I've been um, up to um, uh, updating Link Lab and um, class I'm uh, created together with uh, Tommy Clark. Yeah. So I have a new rotation in uh, ten days. So still seats uh, available and. Uh, uh, yeah, we're updating with some new information from TechEd and stuff like that. So you're learning a lot uh, at the same time. So uh, we've mentioned those before on the show. Uh, so do you, do you want to give us a bit of an overview of what that sort of covers? Is it face-to-face learning? Yeah, it's uh, a classroom training uh, where we have created this uh, Link Lab uh, lab. We deploy on um, on uh, Blade servers, so the student gets uh, an, an uh, environment with uh, Link and Exchange and AD and and also um, uh, high availability features. So and it's uh, more a class for um, administrators wanting to learn about um, Link features, uh, administration and troubleshooting. So uh, doing a lot of references to blogs, uh, tools um, and tools we use uh, daily. So. It's a, it's a good experience. Cool. Uh, and I think the, the links to that are all on your website as well, aren't they? So uh, check those out if you're interested. Johan, how's it going? Yeah, fine. Pretty busy with uh, some scripting stuff, uh, which we talk about later. Yes, um, yes. Some very good stuff for Link fans yay. out there. Mm. Uh, we'll keep that under wraps until a bit later because uh, yeah, yeah. I know Pat's been doing some teasers uh, over the yeah. last uh, few yeah, days. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Pat. 
Uh, and besides that, I'm busy with some exchange stuff, um, some link, enterprise voice, troubleshooting. So, always fun. It sounds it. <laughs> so, has that been your last couple of weeks, uh, getting your head down scripting? Well, yeah, it, well, I, I worked on it. Uh, I started working on it a few weeks ago because I was playing with Sefer Yuto and I thought, well... Don't give it, it be- away! <laughs> Don't give it away! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk more about that later because it's yeah, quite interesting exactly. to, to find out what you, you've been doing with it. And that, that's yeah. one of the hardest things I've found, finding the time really to, to build out some cool tools because yeah, if you're like me, you have so many ideas that you you want to do uh, but then when you get home at eight o'clock in the evening <laughs> or, or you're stuck in a hotel it's not quite what you want to do so uh so well done on finding the time to do something like that yeah it always does cost a lot of time because you always want to make it more fancier and yeah. then you think you're ready and you think ah oh, shit forget this i need to add <laughs> this and yeah I make some modifications and then it's very late in the in the middle of the night and then you say oh yeah. Wants to get up early tomorrow. Hmm. Hmm. I had the same thing last night. I was I was doing some scripting, scripting, and I thought, you know, I could actually build a nice web GUI around this. This would be pretty good, actually. And I thought, yeah. no, I've got to go to bed. Just leave it alone. <laughs> and of course, now it'll just sit there for weeks, and then it'll be months. And then I'll come back to it and go, I can't remember what it was that I thought would be really good to do to this. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, finding the time is pretty tough. Yeah. Michael Van Horenbeek, hello. Hi there. How are you? Not bad. Soon to be my partner in crime uh, in, in yeah. a month or so. And uh, we've been uh, emailing each other regularly uh, with uh, some of the same <laughs> stuff. It sounds like we've been working on some similar things lately. Yeah, so it seems. And um, not sure if I should be happy about it, but something <laughs> that I am, obviously. But, so you've been doing yeah. hybrid and Azure. <laughs> <laughs> you mean Azure? Um, so, Azure, Azure. I'm not sure. Yeah. Who is that? Who is actually sure how, how to call it anyway? Azor. Okay, that, that well, let's right settle for Azor. <laughs> yeah, so apart from that then, uh, have you been busy getting together your sessions for Exchange Connections? Um, uh, th- uh, no, not really. Um, Don't I, tell still, me you're all done. Uh, not, not really. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I'm not saying that I still have to get started on them, but there is a lot of work to do. Um, the problem is that uh, all of my servers at home, they kind of have some issues, so I'm out of lab right now, so there's yeah. nothing much that I can do. So I'm waiting for a new hardware code to come in to build my um, my environments, make some demos, and actually build the slides off of that. So I hope I get everything up and running again before the end of next week, because um, if I'm not mistaken, that's when our uh, sessions are due to be delivered so yes and we've got a joint one and i have already made quite a start on it and this is the first time you're going to get to see this and we won't sh- share this with the listeners this is what we i've won't. done so far oh wow Looking this, good isn't it that, that, oh wow <laughs> that is that is awesome really you know I, I wish the listeners could see what i'm seeing right now because they'll be blown away i know it's good <laughs> it is, but um, yeah, not not to steal any any thunder whatsoever. Um, I'm really looking forward to it, but I've got a uh, excuse me the word a shitload of work uh, in front of me, and I don't know where to start. And uh, you know, finishing the the book, the one that I started a long time ago, is about to get published. You know, the last stuff, and it still needs to be done. So, if I manage to squeeze Just in a little bit, in there, are you? Yeah, yes, I am a shameless plug. I know. Sorry about that. <laughs> So yes, so. buy the book now on Exchange 2013. 
Ja. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> we'll have to put up links to that. Uh, and, yeah, we'll be getting together, I think, uh, soon to, to perhaps uh, polish off uh, what I just uh, showed you there. Okay. It seems like a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Justin. Hiya. Hey, Steve. How's things? Yeah, pretty good. Been uh, quite busy lately with um, a whole sort of uh, raft of stuff here in the UK. I finished up my big voice project that's all in production and everybody's happy with that now. And so Woo-hoo. now I've been, yeah, yeah, massive win for us and, uh, and Microsoft and that. So um, huge achievement there for everybody. And uh, I've been kind of uh, spreading myself across a lot of different pre-sales work and some tactical pieces of technical work around uh, attendant console for receptionists for Link and deck 10 sets hanging off a Sonus gateways and upgrading um, <laughs> uh, UX 1000 SBAs to... Uh, do you think deck 10 sets? Yeah, the, deck 10 sets. So are you bringing back the uh, VoIP as you are thing from a few years ago? Well, kind of, yeah. You can uh, Astra make uh, a deck SIP solution um, called Open Mobility Manager. Yeah. And all you need to do with that is you basically uh, point it at a Sonus SBC and then set up the extensions within the SBC and it registers directly against that and it can make and receive phone calls either to Link and the PSTN and anywhere you need to, really. Cool. Yeah, I, I hear the company you work for seems to be getting their, their name around uh, quite a bit, actually, Modality. Uh, just uh, the place I work, uh, they got mentioned a, a few times the other day. Uh, so, yeah, good stuff. Uh, and what have you been doing on the blog in front much? Uh, yeah, little bits and pieces here. Uh, I did one post that I'd had in draft format for a while that uh, I think we're going to cover later on about conference security. So it's a bit of an interesting yeah. one. It's, it's not so not so technical, but uh, a bit more of uh, a business and sort of compliance conversation. Yeah, cool. Yeah, we've got that down there to, to mention in our links section a little bit later on. Cool. Michelle, how are you? Oh, fine, Steve. Thanks. Good to be back after two episodes, I believe. Yeah, we, you're usually on the same episode as me, by chance, I think, aren't you? Yes. And I don't think I, it's a coincidence. But... <laughs> <laughs> it's it's all the boulders, you. isn't it? Uh, well, I, I won't count Michael in that because he's just uh, because I don't know whether he's bold as such. <laughs> yeah. Have you looked at Justin lately? <laughs> Uh, maybe that's why it's all the bold is together. Uh, then, again, then again, I'm not really bold. I, you know, I, did I just did you just call me bold? No. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I seem to remember when we were at uh, the MVP summit, a few people seemed to think we looked uh, more alike than we thought. I guess they called it that that we're Twins. almost like brothers. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> so I don't know whether that's got anything to do with us being plonked together again. <laughs> Exchange connections. Hey, at least we won't have to share a room. Uh, but but yes, Michelle. Uh, yeah, still uh, they become a bit repetitive. But uh, so working on the car uh, project, and meanwhile also been updating some of the scripts after some uh, feedback by people. Uh, published another small script for the anti affinity thing. Yeah. And working on an in-company uh, PowerShell training, and so uh, a lot of work. Yeah. I bet you'll be good at that. You know, your, your your exchange install script is absolutely amazing. I love that script. Uh, I've got to say that is an impressive piece of work. Uh, I, I actually was really surprised when it actually worked the way it did so easily. It literally just 
plonking a server there with the exchange install files and it just downloaded all the bits <laughs> and I hadn't tried it before but I'd, I'd obviously looked at it and I was really really impressed uh, so if anyone's going to be doing PowerShell training it probably should be you that was that's some really fantastic work uh, so if you haven't seen Michelle's exchange install script you really need to check it out if you're building an exchange lab or just want to get it up and up and running and don't want to mess around it's pretty cool well done yeah there's a lot of stuff in there I don't know if uh, about one thing if that's supported or not because I downloaded a quick uh, a quick fix and extract it and install it if it's required yeah um, but yeah um, looking at the intention of the script which is a fire and forget installation I left it in there so mm -hmm. pretty cool well thanks guys and let's move on to the top stories this week We'll start off. Should we start off on a positive note or a negative note? Come on. Uh, I'll, then I'll pick the one we'll start with. Positive. Okay, then. Over to the link, guys. Because <laughs> sadly, it's not so good on the exchange front this time around. The Ghana Magic Quadrant. If you don't know what that is, it's not a region of space. It's not something out of the new Doctor Who either. It's it's slightly less interesting than that. Uh, unless, unless you're into those kind of things. Ghana reports... Uh, Gartner, who, says Michelle, uh, they, Gartner are, are one of these uh, organisations that uh, help guide businesses to make the right decisions in IT. Is that, that fair to say? Yeah. And, and they, they produce reports on various things. And the Magic Quadrant is probably the most easy to understand of those type of reports. You don't have to read the whole thing to get the picture because it shows uh, in a graph format where different providers or different vendors lie when it comes to different technologies. And the UC one for 2013 has been released and Starlay has been having a bit of a look at it. Yes, I have. So, um, good uh, news. Gartner, uh, well, no. Good and bad. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Uh, so um, every year Gartner releases this magic quadrant for unified communications and uh, they create magic quadrants for uh, lots of technologies and uh, the criteria for uh, being evaluated uh, in unified communication is that you have a um, portfolio uh, that uh, comprised of voice and telephony, conferencing, messaging, uh, presence and IM. Uh, support for different client platforms uh, and uh, communication-enabled uh, business processes. So, um, link is uh, on there, of course. And then we have um, Cisco, a big uh, uh, participant. And then we have lots of other um, vendors there as well. And um, the unified um, uh, communication quadrant uh, um, is uh, about um, leader segments, visionaries, uh, challengers, and niche players. So uh, Cisco and Microsoft is uh, among in uh, the leader quadrant. And um, this year, for 2013, um, Cisco is um, put uh, at the top um, right corner where, um, as a leader. Uh, and uh, Microsoft um, a bit behind Cisco, and um, I read through the the report, and um, I was a bit disappointed really by um, Gartner because it seems like they forgot um, again a lot of features that uh, Microsoft uh, are working on, uh, and um, they praise Cisco for one thing and punish Microsoft for the same thing, so. Um, um, yeah, the new thing about Cisco is that they added video to the, their Jabber client, and uh, I think that was it for changes. Well, that doesn't sound that impressive. 
Yeah, uh, and Microsoft uh, added, uh, came out with 2013 <laughs> link and completely added, new version. <laughs> completely new version with mobile clients. You have Link Room system. They have come up with a new uh, hosting uh, platform, the um, Link hosted uh, platform version two that came in May, and uh, they have bought uh, Skype and brought Skype into uh, federation with Link, and uh, it, it goes on and on. Uh, and still, uh, Cisco is is um, pacing um, forward for um, uh, in front of Microsoft. So, if you had a discussion with with someone and they said they were a Cisco guy and they said, "Look, you know, here's Cisco. It's uh, higher up on the leaders, and they're, they're a bit further along as a, a visionary as well. They've got a better vision and they're leading the market. Uh, why why is that wrong? Why are Gartner wrong? Why why should Microsoft be in the position that Cisco are in in real terms? Well, um, since uh, 2005 uh, until last year, Microsoft was the leader in this quadrant. And uh, last year, Gartner punished Microsoft because they didn't have a good story on mobility. And it was, it was true, they didn't have voice or IP or video or application sharing. Uh, but now they do um, with 2013. And um, they also have a unified experience uh, with the, uh, almost the same feature set across uh, clients. Um, and I think one thing that's forgotten in this um, quadrant is um, administrators' uh, quality of life because uh, you can uh, administer Link and other products uh, using PowerShell and uh, Windows tools. And you can automate um, a lot of things together with uh, your AD uh, environment, exchange, uh, and what you've got. Um, and um, also, uh, both vendors are doing uh, HD video, and Microsoft really um, did well on bringing HD video and multi-party conferencing into the fold in 2013. And uh, Justin, you also have some thoughts on this, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, I had a look at this and I assessed all the strengths and cautions between Microsoft and Cisco. Um, and I did look at the Envira and Mitel uh, comments as well, but really kind of focused on the Microsoft and Cisco ones because they're the kind of two closest and um, most most similar. And I think it's really hypocritical of Gartner in a lot of ways to um, praise Cisco in some ways and then, as you said, Staller, um, um, like layered on Microsoft for the exact same thing, essentially, because they, they praise Cisco for having this great, um, you know, infrastructure ecosystem and you can purchase all your networking gear from uh, Cisco, but then they walk down and say, oh, but Microsoft has this very um, uh, sporadic vendor approach where you need to purchase gateways and uh, phones and video uh, MCUs and things from different vendors, and they see that as a... Is a, is a bad thing, you know, and then, and then they also, like, comment about how for Cisco, their clients are regularly pressured into using Cisco data network and uh, unified computing solution to achieve optimal UC deployment. And I think, how is that good for the customer if they're being pressured by the Cisco people to purchase all their additional stuff and they don't have that flexibility that they should be able to have in their deployment? So on one side, Gartner is saying, oh, don't lock yourself into a single vendor because, you know, you might find yourself hard to move around in the future. But then they're also saying, oh, no, it's better to go with a single vendor for all your hardware stuff. And it's 
it's just I think it's incredibly hypocritical um, what they've done in terms of assessing Microsoft and Cisco against each other. Yeah, and they actually state that in the um, overall trend for unified communication that the enterprises are afraid or don't want to be locked into one standard, uh, and at the same time they praise Cisco for forcing uh, customers to go that way. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as you said, there's like very little. There's, I think, there's almost no recognition of the mobility enhancements in the last 12 months, um, and I don't think, yeah, there's been any of the recognition. A completely new version of the product um, being released should get as well, you know. And there's all the other benefits that you and I both know, things like high availability and disaster recovery improvements and video improvements and things like this. And I just you know, it's like as we discussed time and time again, like Cisco's approach to unified communications is anything but unified. You know, they have multiple different servers, different clients. They're only just starting to kind of converge on Jabba in some ways. Whereas Microsoft just had this this whole kind of common user experience for so long. And this kind of comes back to this whole Cisco versus Microsoft approach of that Cisco uh, looking at everything from a network perspective where, you know, you've already got Cisco routers and switches and everything else, so why don't you just buy our UC package, right? You know, we'll sell it to you over five years and it'll all cost not as much as Microsoft and there you go, job done. Nobody's been fired for buying Cisco gear in the past. But what you're doing is the IT department are just buying an off-the-shelf solution that is not fit for purpose for users. And UC is something you can't just give to users and say, I'll be happy with that, you know, whereas Microsoft's approach is from a software perspective and building the right applications for the right user persona. And it may mean that you need to engage additional vendors, but you get the best of breed for that. And I think that's the better way for a business to go. Yeah, as well as you have competition between those third parties um, and uh, reducing cost for customers. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, they, they punish Microsoft for not having a clear vision for the future regarding voice in the cloud. Uh, and also for poor survival branch appliance, and uh, and I don't I really don't understand that because uh, if it's one thing that Microsoft declare on is uh, where things are going, and uh, also how to have um, survivability for your branch offices. So I don't know where Gartner is when they are going through these um, vendors, uh, and um, it seems like they are working really close with the Cisco trying to defend something around there. Yeah, and I mean... Maybe they, they just paid the most money, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Maybe Microsoft didn't send that. the right people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you look at the... They've got definitions of each of the different parts of the quadrant, and the, the part where Microsoft has been sort of um, put below is in the ability to execute um, sort of access. And... You know, the, the system integrator ecosystem that's building around Microsoft Link is just, it's like a massive, like, tsunami of, um, of effort behind that. And you put that in your blog post, Dollar, about how, uh, you guys up in Linux are, like, fully pumped up and capable to deliver that kind of thing. And I, um, I kind of struggle to see how a lot of traditional Cisco core guys would transition across into Jabba and skilling up on that and being able to deploy that same capability that the growing number of link parts worldwide can deploy link. I'm getting, yeah. I'm, I'm getting quite, I'm getting quite aggressive about this. So. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know who they were talking to, but, um, it seems like they, 
Gartner don't think Microsoft can deliver enterprise voice functionality in big um, organizations, but uh, I really have to disagree because in 2013, you got a lot of good PBX functionality that uh, really can replace uh, most of the PBXs out there. Uh, and then you have um, third-party call center applications that can really replace a good call center and, and link really. Uh, and we know that link can have a good throughput and good stability for for voice if you, if you measure telephony um, as a single modality, but then you have all the all the other modalities. And and one thing that maybe also what was forgotten was the um, new web clients. Uh, I think uh, that's amazing, and and Microsoft is really keeping an eye on WebRTC. So I think uh, they really got a good uh, roadmap. Yeah, I mean it's. I think there's so many. There's still a lot of people out in the UC industry that are these old stalwarts and I can see myself popping a lot of flack on Twitter um, for this comment right now but people that three Just years ago you'll be one one day <laughs> <laughs> we're, like, we're sitting there three years ago and saying oh Microsoft will never run my voice system there's no chance you know like I never run it on a Windows server and now we're, we're at the third kind of serious iteration of the product where it's seriously capable of uh, supporting the voice workload I mean I myself can stand up with hand on heart and say that I've seen 18,000 users all running on Link Voice um, without a blip, without a problem, fulfill all the requirements. And there's still these people out in the industry that are publishing articles saying, oh, Microsoft aren't mature, Microsoft can't do it, which is it's literally like it's bollocks, absolute bollocks. How, did, how long did a call manager run on SQL servers and Windows servers, on Windows 2000 servers and stuff like that? A long, long time. Exactly, Steve. Yeah, that's it. Uh, and that it, was reliable in 2004. Yeah, I mean, people these like people in the UT industry that come from a PBX background need to throw away their shackles of their like half a rack of um, switchboard stuff in a, in a in a rack and talk and think about the user experience and think about what makes sense for somebody using day in day out. You know, they don't want to have to fire up three or four different clients to just collaborate with people. You know, they should have the one experience and. You know, I'm a bit biased, but Microsoft is the best at doing that. Yeah, and um, and the thing is that uh, they changed the weighting this year for mobility, and even then, uh, Microsoft came behind because um, of the they did actually do a lot of great things things on mobility uh, with the mobile clients. So I really don't understand this, and um, I'm quite disappointed by Gartner. Yeah, it's like, it's just you know, well, they've just shifted the goalposts, and uh, yeah, I'm. Um, I'm, I'm a bit frustrated about it all. <laughs> well, it's not a terrible result. It's not. It's not as if they're not in the leaders. Uh, if, if you're going to be picking from some UC vendors, then obviously they're going to be at least in the top two. Yeah, exactly. You know, at least it still gives us uh, some conversation points when we're in uh, you know compete scenarios with the likes of Mitel and a buyer and and you know, legacy PBX vendors like that. So. It still seems that it's a, it's a two-horse race, you know, when you get into the sort of those last conversations about who's going to get picked. Yeah, and it seems like they have uh, locked into the North American market, and uh, it, it may be different in other markets, like here in Norway, where we are seeing a total different picture. And, and if it was a quadrant here in Norway, uh, Microsoft would surely be in the lead. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's reflected here in the UK a bit as well. It's It's interesting to note that, if you look at the uh, the major quadrant for for this year and for last year, it's the same four companies in 
uh, in the leader's quadrant. It's the same one company, Mitel, in the visionary's quadrant. Um, really, there hasn't really been a lot of movement uh, with uh, which quadrant a lot of these companies are in. Um, you still see Cisco and Microsoft, you know, far and away the leaders. Um, but, you know, I, I disagree, too. I, I, I think that anybody who thinks that a disparate client ecosystem and Jabber Federation is the way to go over, you know, a combined client and, uh, you know, something as feature-rich as, as Link, I think, is, you know, smoking the wrong stuff. Well, um, <laughs> well one thing I've, I've heard from Cisco people, I won't say whether or not their colleagues, is that they haven't been altogether happy with Jabber either, uh, especially for its mobile device support. Uh, they have issues with Jabber. Yeah, I mean, the thing with Cisco is that they will provide you these nice-looking PDFs and nice-looking videos on YouTube that, you know, make all the people's names look great and their photos are there and it's HD video. But a lot of it is this, like, you know, closed-up vaporware-style stuff that they've had to spend weeks and weeks configuring to get the AD integration working right and the photos in the right places and all this kind of stuff to work. And... I think in a real-world scenario, a lot of the things they talk about them having would be very difficult to get working or uh, take a long time and a very skilled person to deploy. Which is is funny, really, when you compare it to well, the whole Exchange suite where you can either you can download a, a kit with it all together, or go and provision yourself a Office 365 demo with all the the Link cool stuff. You know, testing out mobile devices in literally a matter of minutes. Mm, yep. Yeah, it's always uh, this is always a good discussion over a couple of beers at conferences. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. move it. Should we move on to our, our our dangerous, scary security topic then? Now, uh, where we can talk about Exchange, which, when it comes to leading the industry, is is always up front. You know, we're we're so far ahead, we just don't even have to try. And I'll say that even without John on the show, uh, I don't even have to mention Google. Uh, but security-wise, it's not always so good. And uh, for the first time in quite a long time, there's some security patches out uh, for Exchange 2007 to 2013. Michael, uh, you've got a few thoughts on this, haven't you? Um, yeah, I might have. Um, well, I do have. You're not uh, sure? Yeah, well, I am sure. I'm sure. Uh, first of all, it isn't. It hasn't been that long. Remember February this year? Uh, we had that uh, Oracle stuff uh, in yeah. Exchange 2010. So it, it hasn't been that long that we had updates, um, security updates. And this one is is it, it actually amazes. Well, it, it can also it can always happen, you know. Um, but there isn't much information about it there. It's about remote code execution that could a vulnerability that could lead to that and it's an advanced notice uh, telling us well there's something coming and um, you better prepare something like along those lines um, so uh, th again this 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 points out that you shouldn't you, you know it, for, to, for me um, it, it raises the discussion to one of the blog posts that uh, Greg Taylor recently posted on the website as like well put your exchange in front uh, onto the internet no need to do reverse proxying whatsoever and, and I'm fine with that but um, if you're going to release a security update about two weeks later telling the people hey well you might be careful with that because there could be some exploits uh, running remote code on your servers uh, that's like sending out a mixed message so I'm not quite sure how people will react and it will probably depend on what the, the error or what the vulnerability is 
But remote to code me, execution, this is, remote code execution, elevation of privilege, denial of service, information disclosure. Well, if you take a look, the effective <laughs> software, um, the, the the bits that are um, that ex that affect exchange is only yeah. about remote code execution, which is uh, important enough. So, <laughs> let alone the denial of service stuff and and, uh, and things. But yeah, if you take a look at all of them, you know, denial of service uh, applies to Windows. Well, Exchange is running on Windows, so you've got some, several uh, vulnerabilities which seem to be critical. Um, so uh, it's kind of a bad news. Um, it, it opens up the discussion whether or not you should be running Exchange on premises. And I know, you know, it's, it's uh, don't getting say bored. that. Don't say yeah, that. I know, I know. But hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah, let, let us well, start the conversation. But before you say that, let me interject. <laughs> <laughs> it begs the question as to whether you should run it in the cloud. Yes, yes, well, I because, was getting be, to that. Be, be, because they're the ones saying that they don't put anything in front of it. If you run it on-premise, you can stick something in front of it. And to be fair to Microsoft, they, they can't see into the future. Uh, and, okay, one thing's sure, they're going to find security issues at some point. Everyone does. Uh, but they, they didn't know it was going to be so so soon. But, yeah, if you <laughs> carry on. Yeah, no, well, I was actually getting to the point. Um, you know, <laughs> Sorry. Not, you, sooner or later, you know, the question is going to pop up. People are going to talk and, and, and talk and, and be like, well, should we be running Exchange, yada, yada. Uh, for Microsoft, obviously, this is a good, a good thing and a bad thing. A good thing because they can use the vulnerability to say, well, if you run it in our data centers, it's probably more secure, which probably is, the, is, is true. But on the other hand, it's exactly as you said, well, um, in the data centers, there's running exchange. They're running exchange, so it's probably open to the same vulnerabilities as we are. Uh, probably they'll be, be able to patch it first, but given the size of Office 365, we can imagine being thousands and thousands of servers. Uh, that might take a while. So I'm, I'm actually interested to see how they would treat such a vulnerability because this is this is important, you know. They used so, to be so. Surely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I hope. I certainly hope they use something like that. So, um, but you know, it's it's good. We don't have them every two weeks like we have uh, re-releases of update rollups and stuff. So we only have you know critical security updates twice a year versus re-releases four times a year. Um, so we're we're good on that number. But I'm more interested to see what the vulnerability is, uh, what component is causing this. And for now, we don't have much information. And while we've been talking, they are still going on. They're, they're still going on about this magic quadrant. They are not happy about this. I thought that was the positive story. They're going off on one. They're calling it the magic mushroom quadrant. <laughs> they're not happy. If you are a Cisco guy and you're listening to this... Um, you know what we should do? What we should do? Here's what we should do. We should get Chris Norman, who used to be a very vocal Microsoft Link, uh, you know, technology solution professional in Redmond, who recently jumped the fence and went to Cisco. I think, in the interests of impartiality, we should get him on the show one day and see what he <laughs> has to say. Yeah, that's a good idea, yeah. actually. Uh, but but when it comes to Cisco and Link integration, I think his blog is the one I, I've always used. Uh, and he's on Twitter at uh, Voip Norm, I think. Yeah, yeah, That's really, uh, really good guy. And, so, and the good thing, uh, though, is that uh, Cisco and we've let them Microsoft back in. Are... I shouldn't have mentioned anything. <laughs> <laughs> They're trying to the take good over. thing is that they actually are uh, interoperability now. They they can actually. Uh, in, uh, do interrupt. So that's a, that's a good thing, though. 
yeah, if you like, you just want to pass calls between Link and uh, CUCM, then that's that's fine, you know, and you can sit that have that happily running there for ages. Yeah, I'm so. suitably impressed. Two phone systems can call each other. That's uh, <laughs> really that's impressive. <laughs> anyway, back to back back to the email systems, Michael. I, I shouldn't have mentioned their their fan fest on our IM here, should I? Uh, they're just eager to jump forward. Uh, we, yeah, we, we were saying that uh, there's these big patches uh, for Exchange, which really lead you to think that instead of having to worry about your online presence where they've got hundreds of thousands of servers to patch, you could just patch your 10, 20 servers and, and be fine you know, overnight and know that you're recovered. Mm-hmm. You agree with me? Yeah, yeah, I do. So, so sometimes, just... sometimes that's true. Sometimes it's not, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm joking a little bit, but, uh, but yeah, it, it, it will obviously affect everything, won't it? It, it depends on what the vulnerability is, and I'm, I'm really keen on knowing what they'll reveal and what's causing the issue because um, it, it could be you know critical enough to point it out as a critical update but still something that isn't easily exploitable but on the other hand it could be something really really big causing some concern and um, to be quite honest you know all the fuzz about security and updates and I'm, I'm, I'm stretching the topic here you know I'm not talking only about security in a software but I'm talking about security altogether the entire prism story uh, it's it's affecting the cloud stuff it is majorly affecting cloud stuff um, Pats, our, did we cover the prism stuff on the last show i i, I think we mentioned there, yeah. it and we talked about it but there wasn't a uh, an article i saw today that in germany um they uh, deutsche telekom they started an uh, email servers which um, ensures that emails or uh, never leave the German territory. So you can email between two or three German uh, email service providers, and Deutsche Telekom will uh, certify that the email never leaves the German territory, which makes it not discoverable by whatever agency in the world, uh, except for the German ones, of course. And it will also encrypt the mails, as I understood. So that's pretty nice. So this is a first reaction that I see um, against all the security threats. And and it's starting to, I'm not saying it's a revolution, but, you know, people are talking and adding stuff like this, you know, well, oh, there is a critical issue um, with Exchange. And by the way, we're running Exchange in Office 365 isn't really helping. So um, let's, let's just wait and wait and see what the security of it is but i sincerely hope it's not that big as i think it is and on that note let's move on there's not much more we can say about that the the prism stuff is is kind of interesting uh but it's a it is too early to to say whether it has any real impact uh there's uh there's reports out there that it's going to cost uh the u.s economy billions uh, of cloud-based dollars um but i'm i'm not that convinced not not yet anyway Cloud-based uh, dollars, is that something like Bitcoin? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Uh, I, I couldn't think of a better way to put it. <laughs> but uh, I, I think it was Rod Trent uh, had written an article where he referenced another article that said it would cost something like uh, $22 billion. Wow. And, yeah, I'm not sure about that, uh, especially uh, if Microsoft have just signed up a whole bunch of new customers before the end of their financial year, then... Probably not. They're not going to cancel their plans after just shelling out. So that's the top stories this week. And let's move on 
to our big long list of topics. This week we've got quite a few things to talk about, so we'd better get through. How many have we got? One, two, three, four, five. Wow, too many to count. I can't count over five. So let's get started. We're going to go with the exchange bits and pieces first, uh, and uh, a few a few quickies here. Uh, so the first one is the Exchange Server 2013 Deployment Assistant has been updated. Uh, so if you've seen that, there's Michael saying, do you notice we always start with Exchange? You do on these shows, because that, that's what everyone wants. They don't want a link, do they? Oh, don't give me that. <laughs> Uh, so the Exchange, 20, uh, Exchange Server 2013 deployment assistant has been updated, and they've done a, a few bits and pieces to it. Uh, Pat, you've uh, had a look at this, haven't you? Uh, I, I've had a, a quick look at it. So if you're not familiar with uh, the Exchange deployment assistant, it's a it's a web tool that walks you through uh, a scenario to help you define a checklist of tasks that you need to undertake in order to migrate to Exchange 2013. So um, Microsoft is trying to migrate a lot of the um, uh, scenarios from the 2010 version to the 2013 version. So they've added two new scenarios, um, and those are if you're going to, um, if you're going to uh, Exchange 2013 hybrid, uh, from Exchange 2010, that scenario is now uh, in there for you to run through. And uh, the other scenario is if you're going from uh, a mixed Exchange 2007 and, and 2010 environment to Exchange 2013, then that scenario is also listed in there. So you can you can kind of pick what you're trying to do. The, uh, the assistant will ask you a bunch of questions, and then it spits out a checklist of, of things that you need to do in order to get from, from where you are to where you want to be. So it's pretty straightforward. I think it's very helpful, and uh, it looks like that they're going to be adding some more scenarios uh, as, as we go further. Yeah, I agree. It's very helpful, uh, but it, it certainly isn't a substitute for getting a, a book on the subject or something like that. It's, but it, it certainly means that uh, if you've got a big checklist and then you need to explore further, you've got somewhere to start from, haven't you? And some good reference to the, the TechNet documentation. Yeah, and it certainly uh, defines the areas that you need to research more. So it's, a, I think it's, a, as you mentioned, it's a good starting point. It's definitely not the the be all end all of of planning for a migration, but it definitely helps narrow down the things that you need to focus on. And we'll have the link uh, to the Exchange Team blog post uh, to talk more about that uh, on the the website. And uh, next yeah, up, sorry uh, oh. to intervene. Um, yeah, but, uh, I had a look at it as well. Uh, imagine that. And uh, first of all, <laughs> all over I, I like... everything this week. <laughs> no, well, I didn't. Uh, uh, but you know, the, I like the tool a lot. But one thing that I think they changed in this version, Pat, you mentioned it. They added the um, Exchange 2010 hybrid stuff um, with the new Office 365 and um, into it. And there is that um, online archiving only uh, option that you can check right now. I don't know if any of you guys tried it, but it actually refers you to a page like, "Hey, this is online archiving." And it's a little bit misleading because um, I, I think they should have expressed more that it's it's even more difficult to do only exchange online archiving than do a full exchange deployment in Office 365 hybrid. Um, and the documentation right now doesn't reflect that. So that's the feedback that I send in to them right now. Um, just pointing out to anyone who is taking a look at it because it looks easy, but it isn't. So watch out for that one. Yeah. And I'm coming to you next anyway. Uh, there's the... 
Microsoft Research have been quite busy, and they've got a no-reply-all Outlook add-in. What do you think of that, though, Michael? You've had that a go with it, haven't you? That is so cool. That is so cool. Um, <laughs> you know, I am a big IRM fan, and then having an IRM-like feature without having, you know, RMS deployed is cool. Uh, so I started playing around with it. I think it was Paul Cunningham who sent it to the list, and I was like, oh, I was all over it. And uh, installed it right away, played along with it, and immediately I, I felt there was missing something. So uh, I didn't read the manual, uh, which I should have probably, because all of the things that I'm about to say is in the <laughs> manual anyway. But it's quite limited. You know, it's a best effort uh, to make sure that you cannot reply to an email, cannot forward an email whatsoever, um, which works fine as long as you're using Outlook. But as soon as you open Outlook Web App, it kind of doesn't work anymore. So that doesn't really serve the purpose. So basically what the, the no reply uh, add-in does, I can uh, create an email uh, and set the uh, click a button that uh, no reply or reply to all is disabled and then send out the email. And if you open the email in, in Outlook, um, then you won't be able to reply all that to that message which is a good use case, but if you open that same email in Outlook Web App, um, you're just allowed, able to, to do reply all. So um, if you're willing to see past that limitation, um, and it is still an Outlook add-in, it actually works pretty fine within your environment. So uh, try emailing to a, a few colleagues of you and just disable that. It's, it's cool. It, it works great. So. And, I mean, I've not played with it, but I assume when it's going over the edge to other organizations and it gets converted into a normal HTML message, none of that uh, sticks. Yeah. Uh, so it's only internal. Uh, so yeah, it's, it it's, it's definitely good. worth a, a play with anyway, because uh, people are always saying, don't reply all uh, to, to messages. Uh, so it could be useful. On to our next topic, and we're, we're going to cover a bit of mo about Microsoft support, uh, which is one of the reasons why you might not want to consider doing this. Uh, but uh, there's a blog post by the Exchange team at TechEd uh, 2013. Uh, they did talk about possible support for using Windows Azure virtual machines uh, for your file share witness. So with an Exchange 2013 deployment, you can have the file share witness in the cloud and then two data centers. So theoretically, it always stays up. And what they've said is it's not happening just yet. And the core reason behind that is because they haven't got support for multiple VPN connections to a, a single virtual network in Azure. That, that's my reading of it anyway. What do you think, Michael? Is that what you thought? Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly what it's all about. Um, and I can see why they're uh, running into this issue. Um, to be quite honest, uh, I, I didn't think of it. And now that Scott wrote the blog post, I was like, oh, yeah, it makes sense. Um, yeah, I thought the same thing. So, so if, if you don't, it, to, to listeners who don't know, when you uh, use Windows as all for virtual machines, you can create a virtual subnet, uh, which uh, is... It's a private virtual network, sorry, a private network in Azure that hosts your virtual machines. And then you can create a gateway. So you can say that uh, your on-site VPN can create a site-to-site -site connection to extend your on-premise network into the cloud and route back and forward. And at the moment, you can only do that from one VPN device, i.e. at one site. And until Azure supports that, 
there isn't an option to use it for a file share witness because both sites with Exchange in need to have a VPN connection to that single private network where the file share witness will sit. Yep, that's it. And and as an aside, getting uh, the VPN set up and getting support for that is is not. If you've used Office 365 support, then it's it's a similar sort of experience. So that to you might sound brilliant, or it might not sound so positive, depending on your experiences. Yeah, you said brilliant, really? Well, I've seen some blog articles where people say Office 365 support is amazing. It is, depending on what and your it problem can be, is. Yeah. It is, it is. Well, they do a pretty good job at, at, at solving certain types of issues. Um, but right now they're having some issues solving some other issues um and uh let, let's cut the let's cut the chase you know there's a problem with office 365 support at all at the moment uh, it's taken a lot of time no to... oh yeah it is you, you, you didn't notice you, you didn't notice um, <laughs> <laughs> um so but from I, I have not ability... had what seems like a relatively simple support case open for a month i have not had another case with another customer open for over a week. I have not had an Azure case open for over a week. Only a yeah, week? If you never have a problem, the support's phenomenal. <laughs> this is the thing, though. Well you said. are right. Every product, especially you know, when you get a cheap ISP and you think, as soon as I use their support, it's going to be rubbish. And that's the thing that probably convinces you to use someone a little bit more expensive so that when you do get support, it's good. And yeah, you get well, to speak to someone that can fix it. And not only do you get to speak to someone good that can fix it, that they actually go ahead and do that. To, to be to be quite fair with support, um, the quality, if they deliver support, is good. Um, I mean, if you actually get to talk to the guy who can solve your issue, he will, and he will do that adequately. The problem is getting to the guy that can help you, which is a pain in the behind um and that is their problem it's not a quality issue because the guys that talk about the products that build the product whatsoever they really know how to go about it and they really do something about it but it's actually the entire way of getting there and and that's that's it's painful at the at, at, at the moment and it's it's a pity and 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 we came to this topic you know through azure and that's the main problem am i having right now is um, we're we're evaluating Azure as a uh, possible alternative uh, to run AFS servers, um, which would be good. But then you come to the, the, the to the point where you have to take a look at the supportability of a solution that you're building, whether it's uh, Office 365 or Office 365 and Azure. And uh, the question that comes up quite regularly is: Is, my, is Microsoft able to deliver support? For all of these things, if you're building a hybrid deployment and you're using Office 365, obviously, and you're using Azure, you're not only relying on Office 365 support, but you're relying on Azure support. And even within Azure support, you're, you've got different teams that you have to rely on. And the question is, are they able to deliver the support that you require to maintain such a solution? Yeah, I think a big change that they could make is making it easier for customers to be able to gain direct access to, to logs from the, the v, from their side of the VPN. Having to raise a support call just to analyze an issue like that is a pain because you can do it all on-prem. You can have your VPN guy get all the logs, but you can only see one side of it. And if you were to 
build your own virtual machines, if you were allowed to build your own virtual machines, you know, a couple of Windows VMs, whatever, uh, running your site-to-site VM, you'd be able to do that. So why why, why can't they, they perhaps give a, or build out a feature, or at least say it's on the roadmap, because that would that probably satisfy me with some of the concerns I've got, because the other bits are quite good, being able to build out... Uh, availability sets uh, being able to import virtual machines because once you've got that vm and then you build multiple vms and then you put them across different availability sets different continents then it doesn't really you don't really need the support so much so things like the vpn access i think are, are more important than they perhaps uh, see yet yeah and i think it will it will uh grow over time that well they'll learn from from the issues that we're, that they're seeing right now and I, I i only partially agree with the the log file stuff because um you know if you're able to get the log files from azure um for troubleshooting your vpn uh, you only got a 50 50 percent chance that you can actually use those log files because for all you know the problem is in, in office 365 or in azure or whatsoever and you still need support to solve it on their end um it's, so even if it's unlikely that they're actually the root cause of the the issue i, I don't see any big value in, in being able to tap into the log files that easily um it, it, it's just uh, you know it, it's a process they have to go through look at it as growing pains you know that if you take a look at the revenue um that microsoft had from azure and office 365 um in the last year uh, you see that they had a big growth and i think they're struggling right now with handling that growth and at the same time make sure they maintain a service because they're in the middle of all those upgrades you know the older versions 2010 going to 2013 and then all those new customers so from that point of view i i I completely understand what's happening and and i kind of feel sorry for the support guys but uh you know the the fact that it if you want to have a log file or if you're looking for support and and you have to call in and then notice that a call takes two weeks actually to get treated as it should be treated, that is the real issue. Um, it's not the technology because that works fine. Uh, if we if we're honest, once you get it up and running and which you usually do quite quickly, it works absolutely phenomenal. Indeed, right? and it rarely goes wrong. Yeah, it does. So, uh, so well, one thing that's not a to- I don't think it's topic worthy, but uh, Microsoft shouting about their ninety nine point nine percent uptime, which is, well, yeah, well done. You, you've done what you're supposed to do, but yeah, they've achieved it, and hopefully they can look to getting a better SLA. Well, I f- I find ninety nine point nine quite impressive um i had a conversation the other day and um you know the typical conversation oh we want our system to be up as much as possible and i'm like okay so you're going for the 100 percent, and they're like oh yeah we are and then i'm i'm like really are you are you even aware of what that is and if you just extrapolate the 99.9 percent into a office 365 scaled environment I'm like, wow, that is an achievement. It is, it is beyond imagination, you know. That's, I don't awesome. doubt it, but uh, why hit that and say they were done? Oh, well, they, they shouldn't. I, because I, the competition is so embarrassingly weak, and I'm filling in for John a bit here with with Gmail. They, they, there's nothing to keep them pushing harder. So they've got to push themselves. Why, why don't they set themselves 99.95 or something like that as the next target to, to go? Or 
I think that that would be a good idea, but since you brought it up and Solomon has to take over John's role, um, I, I, I was able to, um, to tolerate Gmail up until a certain point, but oh boy, they're screwing things up. They're actually, blah. Um, I don't know if you saw lately what they were doing, but they were actually chasing customers away from Gmail. And I, <laughs> I, I did, I did have a conversation with a, a HPC guy, a customer, uh, mm-hmm. so a, a Linux guy, and I, I thought it was going to be a an anti exchange conversation, but no, it's saying about the same sort of things as you. Yeah, and you know, um, it might seem odd because I'm in favor of Microsoft and Exchange, and uh, it let me be clear of that. But I like the fact that Gmail was around just to have that opponent to Microsoft to keep them on the on the edge. Like you used to have Lotus Notes, which pushed Exchange to be better and uh, actually crush Lotus Notes afterwards, um, but, but which, which drove innovation. But if Gmail is actually not able to keep up and not actually doing something right for once. I'm wondering who is going to challenge Microsoft and they need a challenger. They need someone to challenge and keep them on their edge. Yeah. And we pretty much lost uh, Zimba as well. That's a, uh, I, I may, ever have maybe it? I'm not right. <laughs> VMware thought they had a massive opportunity with it. Everyone was going to use it. Well, they were going to build these little virtual machines and they'd self-deploy into to vSphere clouds and no one bothered with it. And now they've just sold it off to an, a company that are convinced that they're going to do something with it as well. I'd be very scared if I was a Zimbra customer. And that, yeah. But there was a time when I thought Zimbra was going to be the thing. I thought that's, that's going to be the one. I'm going to be a Zimbra fan. And I wasn't. And, well, you know, Gmail never has been for me nope neither for me and it's, it's annoying because you, you, you do want some, some more competition to, to push Microsoft to try a little bit harder yes I, I totally agree we went a bit off topic tags and windows as well <laughs> um, so let's get back on topic with our next one who likes language packs for exchange unified messaging I do I do excellent then you'll be pleased to hear the Exchange 2013 Cumulative Update 2 language packs have been released. Yeah, and uh, it looks like uh, last Friday, August 2nd, Microsoft released all of the language packs for uh, CU2 on Exchange 2013. And it looks like we've got 20 languages to pick from. And uh, if you're not uh, familiar with what the language packs are responsible for, there's five key things that language packs uh, provide. Uh, support for voicemail preview, so when you get the preview in your mailbox, um, all the text and the, uh, the transcription and everything is all in the correct language. Um, support for automatic speech recognition, uh, text-to-speech translation, um, and that includes um, um, uh, things that can be read to you when you call into your uh, auto attendant, uh, grammar files, and pre-recorded prompts. So, you know, when you call in and uh, you hear the prompt say, you know, after the tone, please leave your message. Those are all part of the language packs. So um, if you need to uh, uh, support uh, another language other than what's uh, uh, installed by default, then those language packs are now available. So take a look. We'll keep a, uh, a link on the uh, summary page for this episode for those. Well, thank you for that. And that rounds up the exchange topics for this week. And now we're moving on to Link. And we're going to be starting off 
with something uh, from Johan. How are you? Are you there still? Yeah, yeah, I'm still yeah. there. I, I enjoyed the, the nice discussions. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I was reading my IMs and I thought that some people might uh, not be able to hear us. Uh, someone's lost audio. It's Michael. So you, so it's not the Netherlands, it's just him. Yeah. Uh, so, Johan, the Sefer Util. So, do you want to Talk to us a little bit about what Sefer Util is first, uh, yeah, just for people that don't know. Yeah. Well, Sefer Util is a tool which Microsoft provides to uh, you know, to configure certain settings, such as call forwarding when someone doesn't answer his phone or client. And it's a command line based utility, so you have to do everything via the command line. There are two separate versions, one for Link 2010 and one for Link 2030. And yeah, the the tool works nice when you do it a lot, but yeah, as most of us probably don't do it much, you will forget the parameters which you can use, etc. So I thought, hey, maybe it's nice to create a GUI wrapper around it to display a GUI where you can configure all those settings. So I launched the script yesterday after some uh, better testing from uh, from the UC Architects. Uh, thanks, Pat and John, for it, for testing. And, um, yeah, you can download it from my, from my own website, which we'll put a link on it. Uh, the tool works both for Link 2010 and Link 2013. Um, there are some re- prerequisites. You will need to have Sephuto installed on the machine, of course. Uh, besides that, you will need the uh, link core components because I'm using some PowerShell things to check which users are enabled for link. So have a look at the utility and provide some feedback if you're missing some things and would like to see some things added. We're already uh, looking at some nice new features to be added in the second release. but. Yeah, I've heard some real positive things. Uh, John Cook was, uh, in particular, uh, pretty impressed yeah. with it. Uh, yeah, so John. John is very, is very cool. Yeah, John. John tested. Oh, sorry. Yeah, John <laughs> tested it on a large environment. Yeah. And it was. I think it was. Well, let's call it. It was the release candidate version. <laughs> and it worked fine. So it's been yeah, it tested worked fine. So in a, a large environment. Your mileage may vary. Um, mm. But yeah, we've got the, the link up to that uh, along with this week's show. And I think it, um, you know it, any kind of delay that comes uh, any kind of perceived delay is generally from the CIFA util side. That's not the fastest uh, yeah, utility just, in the world. It's it's very kludgy, and 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 it, a perfect reason to talk about why we need a GUI for this. It's not a PowerShell tool. Uh, the CIFA util is not. It's a command line tool. Uh, the syntax is is strange at best. Uh, there's not a lot of error uh, reporting. Um, and it can be quite kludgy to work with, especially if you don't have to do it terribly often. Um, yeah. So, you know, the fact that there's now a GUI for it um, just makes life so much easier. You know, if you're going to configure things like group call, pickup, you have to use CFUtil to configure that. And um, it can get very frustrating trying to do that from the command line. Yeah. Um, and, ve- and very slow. So, uh, so Johan, kudos to you. I, I love this tool. Yeah. And, and uh, I think it's going to become part of uh, of every deployment that I do. Yeah. Now, now yeah, Microsoft has to speed up the the Cefuto itself because, from what I read, was it only makes changes in the database, so it shouldn't be that hard to do. 
Yeah, and there's there's long been a PowerShell wrapper third by uh, by uh, somebody uh, outside of Microsoft, a third party tool. Um, but still, having the GUI tool, you know, shows you all your users. You know, yeah. you can pick and choose from your delegates, check boxes, everything. I mean, uh, it, it it's nice. Yeah. Well, thanks. Yeah. So this is going to be a, a tool in most Link admins' tool belts, by the sound of it. Well. Well, I hope so. I will hope so, it. yes. Uh, and, of course, if you've downloaded our, our podcast app, then this can be your next app in the collection from Johan uh, because you're uh, becoming quite the, the GUI applications developer of the UC Architects. Yeah, yeah. we're also, for listeners, we're also looking at uh, the Windows Phone app because uh, uh, Twitter has uh, changed the authentication method uh, that the Twitter things are not working, and we're also looking for adding some nice new features, but that will be released in the upcoming months. And that's an exclusive, <laughs> in case you were going to hear it anywhere else. Yeah. Uh, moving on now to some more businessy sort of stuff. Uh, Justin mentioned it a little bit earlier in the show. Uh, why you should and shouldn't configure unique conference IDs in Link. Take it away, Justin. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. <laughs> so I was uh, I've been sitting on on this one for a while because it's something that is typically approached within the design phase of a link deployment when generally a security or risk workshop takes place and um, your security guys, and not just the IT security guys, but also business security people get involved. And what they're after is making sure that there's no data loss or data leakage and that the brand and reputation of their company is protected and their users don't have any opportunities to... uh, um, expose the company to risk, essentially, to the public. So one thing that traditionally gets uh, assessed here is for your link conference IDs and URLs, um, how those are managed. And out of the box, the way these are set up when you install Link is every user has their own uh, conference ID and URL, and they never change. So <clears throat> when a user schedules a link meeting, it's always the same URL that people click on, and it's always the same conference ID that a user puts in to the link dialing conferencing number when they join that conference. Uh, now, this is a great thing from a user experience perspective because it means that it's the same uh, entry method all the time, but what it does leave you exposed to is things like conference hijacking where, uh, like I wrote in my blog post, if you potentially had something where a, you have a 3 o'clock call and then you're potentially discussing something quite sensitive to the business on that 3 o'clock call and that's scheduled to end at 4 o'clock and then you may have a back-to-back and you've got another call at 4 o'clock then which is less of a uh, extreme kind of meeting. You know, It's a run-of-the-mill, maybe catch-up meeting with somebody or whatever. Um, and that call that you're on at 3 o'clock, this very sensitive one, it t- tends to overrun and then if you hit that 4 o'clock um point in time and then the people at the next meeting start to join, you could get this uh, really awkward situation where people that you didn't want to hear talking about what you're talking about jump jump in the conference and they could potentially hear something that's quite sensitive. So um, there's that that gap there, that overlap there that having the same conference ID and URL um, would present. And then in addition... So this is quite common to, to other conferencing systems as well. It's not unique to Link. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Does it's it something with Cisco? You uh, it's a good question. I don't know. I'm kidding. But <laughs> yeah. no, I, I've had the same thing with uh, other non-Link 
conferencing systems uh, where yeah, you're running people, over so. and then someone joins early and you're like, hello, what are you doing here? <laughs> oh, I'm here for the next one. Mm, yeah, and then it's uh, it's not just that awkward, um, potentially embarrassing thing. It's also somebody that could have a malicious intent as well. Like if, um, say, if a company makes an announcement to the stock market that um, sends their price plummeting by, you know, um, 10 points or something, and then a journalist or somebody that is acting in a kind of corporate espionage role um, has some conference details when they jumped on the CFO's quarterly uh, figures reporting call or something, you know, if he's got a bit of nouse in him, but say, oh, I know I can, I've got his conference details. I'm just going to jump on a couple of times during the day and see if I can pull any info out of uh, conferences that are taking place. It's things like that that would motivate you to configure unique conference IDs in Link. And what that results in is whenever a user generates a Link conference, it generates a unique URL and a unique conference ID every single time. Um, now, this is it's great. It means everything's secure, but what it does present to you is a bit of a degradation in the user experience where it makes it difficult for people to remember their conference details. In fact, it's impossible. So what you're left with is if anybody ever needs to schedule a conference really quickly, uh, they need to be in front of their PC or use the web scheduler. So they need to be at least in front of a browser to jump, jump in, log in, and schedule a conference call to be able to get at least that conference ID to send out quickly to a bunch of attendants uh, attendees rather that they would want to um, have a conference with. So, see a lot of pushback from the business when this is deployed and not managed properly. Uh, so it's um, it's something that you know it should be discussed with the security people initially to come to a compromise with this, um, where you can potentially and some other people that have commented on my blog post have uh, done this also is keep the uh, static conference IDs in place that are configured out of the box and then train your users to leverage the leak meeting options within Outlook when they schedule that meeting because what they can do is go in and uh, change the security options on that meeting and then that will generate just a unique conference ID and URL for that meeting only. And it means that if they know it's going to be a sensitive meeting, then they need to go in and make sure that they secure that meeting. But it means they can then have that flexibility still available to them with the static meeting ID and URL so that then if they remember their uh, conference ID and they're out on the golf course and they have a bright spark and they go, oh, I need to get my head of HR and head of marketing involved because I've got to launch, launch a big campaign. Um, I remember what my conference ID is. I can send out a quick SMS or email to those guys and still be able to get them in to a conference. So it's kind of a, a to and fro uh, scenario where there's a bit of compromise on, on both sides. And it, it really depends on uh, the two the two sides of the business. You know, you, you still want to maintain a good user experience, but you do want to secure the environment as well. So it's um, mind you, if, it, if it's the CFO, he might just uh, ask them to add him to the conference. That's what happened with a few of my uh, higher ups. Uh, uh, pop them an IM. Uh, are you sending out the meeting? Right? Uh, just just make one and add me to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you, and you also that have the, um, you also have the mobile client now, right? So. You can actually call a bunch of people and and it's suddenly a conference. So um, or maybe add them to um, you. You can add more people using the mobile client. So Justin's right. User training is the thing because you know who who knows that out of the box that they, they can do that. Yeah, you need a um, when you deploy a solution, you need to run through change management. You need to do the training correct, 
and um, to utilize a UC solution, you should uh, you should embrace the new features and, and not try to make them as they were because they yeah. are losing out on on functionality. And yeah, um, I would I would believe the mobile client and 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 would be sufficient in in those scenarios. Or or maybe if you if you need to schedule a meeting, just schedule the meeting and then add the conferencing details at a later point. See, in theory, the CFO would love that. Whip out his iPad on the golf course, start a meeting off. Yeah, you can, you, uh, you can start a group, right group call or, or just add people using the iPad, the client. It's, yeah. it's neat. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that would work really well for uh, people with Link 2013, yeah. Well, at least you sure. can sell the idea of it. Maybe the reality might be that they've got no signal. No, they always got signal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and moving on anyway, so that's, that is on Justin's blog. And as usual, we'll have the link to that uh, up on the website. Next up, updates and link phone edition update for July 2013. And we've got a, uh, so an update. I think our link is from Greg in Sydney, which isn't the first time he's uh, been uh, someone we've uh, been talking about on the show. And uh, Pat, you brought that one to our attention, didn't you? The, the new phone update for July 2013. Yeah, so um, if you have Link Phone Edition devices, uh, there's a new firmware out for the Polycom, Astra, HP, and Tanjay families, and the Tanjay is the, the CX700 and the IP8540. Um, really, only two updates um, in this particular firmware. The first is um, a DST change for, uh, I think, Paraguay and Chile, and the other fix is... Uh, fixes up a problem where you couldn't sign into an Aries common area phone if you rebooted the phone. Uh, so that issue is resolved in, uh, in this update. And um, if you're looking for a way to deploy the firmware, I can recommend a good script. Uh, my uh, new CS firmware script uh, will make it a lot easier for uh, deploying the firmware uh, throughout your organization. So that's it. Cool. Yep, and the link to that is, is up as always. Next one, Johan, I'm going to come to you on this, and that's the Link Server 2013. So why so much Link stuff? What was with that? Uh, does it need more patching? <laughs> um, this is another yeah, update. Uh, the Link Server case. 2013 cumulative update to Federated Provider List update. Keep yeah. your PIC comms flowing. Yeah. I'm not going <laughs> to pretend I know what PIC comms are. So what are PIC comms or PIC or PIC yeah, well, it's um, all of the public uh, IM providers such as uh, Jehu and AOL. And you, you uh, had me for a minute with that. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I say your name and I go Johan, I always think idiot, idiot. I should have said Johan, and then I'm like, well, well, that's Jahu. What... <laughs> <laughs> so, but what happens with uh, with CU2 is uh, something. Uh, you need to pay attention for if you're using Jehu or uh, AOL. Um, when you install CO2, uh, those two providers will be removed from the list. And it looks like it has something to do with the previous announcement that those services would be suspended earlier, but now have been extended to uh, somewhere in June next year. But it looks like they forgot to remove uh, the code that removes the um, the, uh, the federated providers. So both AOL and Jehu will be removed as providers. So if you're using it, 
and you uh, install CU2, then you will need to manually uh, put those two providers back. Um, <laughs> did that actually it. happen to you? Because I did not see that happen when I went to CU2. Yeah, well, I've seen several reports from, from other users who did see it. So I, hmm. I, I'm not sure if it happens with every installation, but I've seen several reports that users reported does occur, but I've also tried to replicate it in, in some other environments, but I couldn't get it replicated. Yeah, uh, I, I didn't I didn't see any change in our environment or customer's environment when CU2 yeah. was was deployed. Now the f- the flip side is is that you can add them back in quite easily. There's just yeah. one one command new CS public provider. Yeah. Um, and if you want the little the cool little icons to show up on your contacts, like the little AOL guy or the the Yahoo logo, um, you cannot update existing CS public providers. You have to remove them and re-add them. So yeah, um, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But um, yeah, I don't know why Microsoft has decided to do it. They also did it for Skype, right? You need to remove it and yep. re-edit, and then you have the Skype thing. Yeah, the set, set CS public provider does not have a icon URL parameter. That's the problem. Oh, so it may or may not affect you. Yeah. Yeah. So if you install CU2, I think it's a good idea to go and look and make sure that the configuration you expect to be there is in fact there. Yeah. Um, if it's not, then it's it's a simple one-liner for each of the public providers to add them back in. Yeah, and we'll have a link to that on the the website. Now. It, when you think of LoRa, you might not think of this new utility. It's a cool new presence app for Link, and it's called LA Aura, LoRa. And Stole, uh, you've uh, told us about this, and uh, tell us a little bit more. What, what does it do? And, and of course, the, the main reason, why is it important uh, for, for people with the latest Link 2013 update? Yeah, well, um, uh, I... Actually, uh, well, just now I got it. It's it's Link Aura, you know, Laura. Ah, right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I didn't. Yeah, it, now it's obvious. Yeah. I just Link got it Aura. now. So, okay. Laura. Actually, it's a cool, um, cool uh, application that you can install on your computer, uh, yeah. and um, it will change your Windows colors to the, your presence color. So if you are available, uh, your um, link window or uh, your Windows window will go green, and if you are um, busy, you, it will be red. And uh, why this is, yeah, there's something you would make install on your computer now in in the CU2 times is that Microsoft actually removed um, the presence color in um, the um, taskbar uh, yes. icon for link so now it's just a link well a blue blue one in in the taskbar so in the taskbar I get the the presence but in the status bar I don't just get a little presence bubble yeah so yeah I don't think it's a big issue and um, and I, I don't know if this Application scales in a deployment, but it's a it's a cool app for you UC experts uh, out there. I would really recommend um, evaluating it and, and playing around with it. Um, what do you guys think? Well, I th- you know I I'm one that really likes seeing the presence uh, down in the system tray. Um, I always have you know ten different VPN connections going all over the place, and sometimes if that doesn't if the presence doesn't update, that's usually a sign that I've got a connection problem, and it's usually the first sign. Um, and I miss 
having presence down in the system tray. And I know you can hover over the the uh, icon and and see what it is, uh, but you know, I think something like this uh, is a nice touch. I think uh, something like the busy and the blink lights, uh, I think, are a nice touch. But definitely, uh, Microsoft uh, took a step backwards when they when they removed it from the system tray. So I'm glad to see some developers coming out with, you know, some alternative methods to this. Yeah, but you yeah. still see the um, uh, your status in in the link icon on your on your taskbar or the application where it's running. No, but maybe exactly. maybe if you if you have lots of windows up, you you maybe you don't see it. Or if you no, you, you, you don't install. see it if you have all the updates installed. What I don't like though is um, is uh, when your do not disturb uh, it goes black, and that's uh, could be an issue sometimes when you're trying to navigate through lots of windows and your text is black, and as well as as the color is black. Uh, so I would have chosen chosen another color maybe for for um, do not disturb. So this could be the Marmite of Link Presence apps. <laughs> if you know what that is, do, do you have Marmite on the continent? Never heard of it. No. Oh, I won't. I won't explain it. Uh, it's, it's like stuff you stick on bread. Uh, on bread, you put it on toast. Yeah. If you, and, and if, the, if you Google it, you'll you'll see what I mean. Kind of like ve- like Vegemite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Similar, yeah. Yeah. Uh, if if you Google it, you'll understand the, the love and hate. And, you know, if it's the Marmite of something, it, people either love it or they really dislike it. And I, that It seems like one of those apps to me. I, yeah, and to install it, you I think you needed to install .NET Framework 2, 2.5 or, or something like that. Uh, so you need to, if you're going to deploy it, you need to install that as well. So, yeah, and we'll have the link to that, uh, and you can download it, have a play with it, see if you like it, see if you don't. Uh, either way, it's pretty impressive. Uh, I'm sure you'll agree. Something else impressive, two-factor authentication. Justin, is this something you've been waiting for? It's uh, it's not something I've been uh, super anticipating, but uh, it is good is it that exciting? it's... Uh, it's it's good that it's finally in the product, Steve. Yeah, this is a, a good step forward. It's uh, setting a bit of a precedent in the two-factor auth uh, movement. Um, and what this provides you within the Link 2013 client now is two-factor authentication for the desktop client only. And what this allows you to use is that second-factor authentication is uh, a smart card uh, or like a physical smart card that you would uh, slot into the PC. Uh, which uh, Microsoft use, uh, or a virtual smart card using the trusted platform module that um, a lot of PCs have these days and Windows 8 can leverage. Uh, and so to, to use this, you do need to uh, deploy um, ADFS, so Active Directory Federation Services. And there are some caveats around uh, what features do and do not work when you're using two-factor authentication. So uh, a lot of the exchange integration uh, and SharePoint integration into Link will not work when you're using two-factor authentication. So you actually need to roll back your unified contact store. Um, SharePoint skill search doesn't work. So there are some caveats when using uh, two-factor auth uh, that, that aren't there today. And I think this is a good step forward in terms of two-factor auth, but uh, really what people are demanding is two-factor auth on mobile. I think, um, and that's a, a bigger challenge because, you know, how do you support things like EMU and other, uh, like RSA tokens and things? It's, um, I think there's a long way to go there, and that's a, a big demand from a lot of security uh, 
organizations within companies to say, you know, we have we use RSA tokens or we use um, some other second factor of it off and all of our clients have to leverage that, you know, like um, there's no getting around that. And that can be a blocker for a mobile client in a lot of ways. But hopefully this first step forward into two-factor authentication will at least open up a link into those organizations that um, use two-factor auth on the desktop. So it's, it's good first steps, but there's still a, a little bit of work to do. Uh, but if anything, it's positive. Yeah, exactly right. It's um, a step in the right direction. Uh, the market is always going to demand more and more uh, feature-wise. Uh, you know, but this is great that it has been delivered as part of CU2. So we can uh, we're going to tick off another box. Cool. Very cool. Yeah, uh, but I, I don't know who will tried, use yeah. it though because it will um, disable most of the exchange integrations. Mm. So uh, what I was going to ask has anyone actually tried it out? Not yet. No. No. So, if, but I mean, if you're if you've got to say, I've got a BitLocker uh, secured laptop that uses uh, the trusted platform module. So that that could be a, a candidate to 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 build the virtual smart card type on to to try it out. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. If if anybody else is out there with that kind of thing, definitely give it a crack. You know, in your lab or uh, uh, dev environment. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so the link to that on the Technet blog is is going to be up on. The, the website uh, alongside all the other the bits in the show today uh, and uh, and that, what kind of information does that does that will that lead people into to learning about how they can implement it or how they can convert a lab environment to use it yeah it does have a link directly into the technet library article about how to plan for and configure two factor authentication and having looked through those is is that something that uh, you think uh, various link mvps need to <laughs> build some better examples for or is it or is it pretty good documentation uh, that's the big question isn't I think it a, i think a, i think a walkthrough would be beneficial in this yeah. um and screenshots and things like that because um it is it is sort of uh not 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 very deep um from what i can see i think one of the the big things that that people really need to pay attention to are the caveats the stuff that doesn't work if you if you go down that path and some of those are, like Justin mentioned, you know, UCS and things that are, are kind of nice features to have. Yeah, I think Stoli, uh, we, we were talking at the same time, but you mentioned a few. Uh, Justin mentioned some as well with the, the SharePoint, Skill Search, uh, Exchange integration. Yeah, basically you would uh, lose all the cool stuff and just have a, a link client. <laughs> and the cool stuff is the Exchange interop and, and SharePoint integrations and stuff like that. So. Uh, and I think um, the security people would would uh, like to lock down their um, exchange and Outlook environment before Link, I would guess. Yeah. Since uh, it doesn't support two-factor authentication both for um, exchange and for Link. And one of our... Uh, we're down to the last three uh, link topics for today. So if you love link and you were hoping for more, I'm sorry to disappoint you. Stole, one thing I've got uh, via you is automating the link client using PowerShell. Uh, so is that as good as it sounds? You can use PowerShell to make your desktop link client do stuff? Or have I got that completely wrong? Yeah, you got it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right, okay. <laughs> uh, the, the article was I've got uh, the link by uh, PowerShell. I'm bothered reading it. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> the article was uh, from a PowerShell MVP, in fact, from Norway, uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Jan Egeling, yeah. 
uh, and uh, he just played around with the um, 2013 SDK for Link yeah. uh, and uh, created a script that um, you can use a PowerShell script to change your status uh, okay. and you have can run it as a scheduled task uh, and it could also... That's, uh, what I, that's what I said, automating the Link desktop client. Yeah, your status, just the status. Yeah, you're limited but to your presence. Course you can, that, the st- what else did you want to do? <laughs> but of course you could do a lot of our other things. Yeah. And uh, it also can do a custom presence states. Yeah. Uh, that's quite cool. And um, yeah, you can, uh, for your PowerShell geeks out there, you can use PowerShell to change uh, your states in, in Link. Cool. How cool is that? Ah, you could have a scheduled task. You don't need to set meetings in Outlook anymore. Yeah, every no. time I open up PowerShell, it changes my status to, uh, you know, PowerShell. developing. Yeah, PowerShell. <laughs> Scripting. It does? That, that's Making a brilliant order. idea, actually. Do not, it should stick you in Do Not Disturb, shouldn't it, when you open the ISE? Yeah. See, that, that's yeah. actually a good use case for it, isn't it? Because the, when do you not want to be disturbed when you're doing a bit of coding? Hey, I, I'm going to research that. I like that. Or, or if you are at a customer presentation, you can uh, show off your PowerShell skills by changing your status to "Do not disturb." I'm in a in a very important meeting or something. So, uh, just starting right there with uh, just nailing it down, you know, PowerShell. Oh, fantastic! <laughs> just, just think, you know, in a couple of years' time, we'll all be on dumb terminals. Just yeah, but PowerShell. <laughs> but uh, it's a cool, cool script, and uh, I recommend having a look at it. Um, the caveat is that you need to actually have installed the SDK for yeah. um, tw- Link 2013. So it's it's more for you um, Link um, uh, consultants yeah. and, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> out there. But uh, yeah. have a look. So it's uh, the I also posted it on my... Yeah, posted it on my dlmsunify.net, uh, so you can find it there, or or we will link it, of course. More more downloads than you can shake a stick at. Yeah. <laughs> so there, uh, I got to mention that as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Pat, uh, tell me a bit more uh, about our our second to last link topic, Event Zero's Federation Tester. Sure. So Event Zero is uh, kind of an up and coming com- uh, company. Um, we uh, got to know uh, David from Event Zero at the Link Conference. In fact, he was uh, one of the vendors that provided uh, a software license that we gave away in our big giveaway. Uh, and and they've been to coming touch out. Just on that big giveaway, uh, how much uh, in dollars uh, did we give away? Uh, about ninety thousand dollars in uh, software, services, and hardware. Not bad. Yeah, uh, the vendors the vendors really really stepped up, and we're we're looking forward to doing that again sometime. So yeah, that, that's, I, I just thought we should point that out because that's pretty impressive. Very very generous vendors. So can, yeah, and it came, on, it came yeah. together very quickly too. So, um, but uh, but Event Zero uh, they have uh, a bunch of products out now, and we're we're certainly going to be covering some of them here in the future that uh, really tie into Link uh, nicely. Uh, but they have a nice new tool out called the uh, Link Federation Test Tool. And uh, it's a page on their website, and you can go there, and they have a bunch of different kind of tests that you can do to test federation within your Link environment, including the ability to add a, um, a contact. Uh, it'll do uh, voice calls into your environment. It'll do IMs back and forth with uh, some automated tools. 
So uh, it, it's really nice. You don't have to, you know, call up your friend and say, hey, I'm going to try to send you an IM or try to federate with you. You know, here's a, here's a tool that can help uh, help you get through all that. So uh, so cool stuff from David and, and the team at Event Zero, and uh, we're, uh, we're looking for some more. And our last link topic to today is, is, is actually one I'm quite interested in because I've got one of these uh, headsets uh, myself, uh, courtesy of the wonderful people at Plantronics. And uh, you've just written up a review. I know we've really thrown this this last one in without without mentioning it to you, actually, Pat. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I was reading through your review, and uh, I think uh, there's been a few tweets back and forward, uh, headsets falling off if you bend over and all that sort of stuff. Uh, so there's some mixed uh, mixed views on these headsets. Uh, the yeah, well, Electronics yeah. Blackwire C C720M headset. It's the the fancy one. It's about uh, 200 quid and connects to Bluetooth and uh, connects to to link all your other devices. Yeah, it's it's really kind of uh, cool. It's got some nice features built into it. Um, you can customize this headset for connectivity to like a dozen different soft phone clients. Uh, not the least of which is uh, Link and Skype, uh, but it also has Bluetooth built into it, so you can be connected to not only your PC through USB, but also to uh, your cell phone through um, through Bluetooth, and use both of those literally at the same time, and, and switch back and forth between the two with just uh, a push of the button on the uh, the remote control the uh, control unit that's on the cable. Well, you say the two of them, but you can. You can pair it with multiple Bluetooth devices at once. Yes. Which um, is even cooler. So I've got yeah. two phones. Yep. Uh, I'm not a drug dealer. <laughs> but and, I've, got, I've got a work phone and a personal phone. And yeah, I've, I've got it bonded to both of those. Yeah, it's it's really kind of nice um, in that aspect in that, you know, it's it's a great headset that you can wear if you're on a long call on your cell phone. It's 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 very comfortable. Uh, I, I think the longest call I've been on with uh, with this headset was about uh, seven or eight hours. Wow. Um, and really, and it, it's worked out really well. Call. It's yeah, it's it's a it's a dual ear uh, over the ear headset. Um with a nice cable on it, and and one of the cool features is is the cable disconnects at the the control unit. So the USB piece that goes from the control unit to your PC, you can unplug that and stay connected to your uh, cell phone through Bluetooth and kind of walk around the room, which is really kind of nice. And you still have the control unit in your hand that's got the mute button and the volume up and down. It's kind um, of a weird experience because you've still got the wire. That comes off. You've got half the wire, yeah. And it feels weird because you pull it off and you you start walking away. I had a call the other day and I was hooked into to Link, uh, and they phoned uh, on my mobile, so I just picked it up. I had, in fact, my my mobile was on silence. It was the headset I heard ringing. I answered the call and and then I I wandered off, made a coffee with my phone in my pocket, and. You know, it's, it's good, but of course you don't get that same experience uh, when you're using Link uh, because right. it needs to be plugged in for that. Right. Um, it does need to be plugged in for that. Um, you can switch back and forth between, say, Link and, and Skype and, and things like that. You can also configure some options like, you know, when I put the headset on, set my presence to busy. And, and when I take it off, set it back to available. Better than that, you can get an app. Which, I'm gonna have this to sound like we're trying to sell it, doesn't it? You know those late night TV shows where they tell you how brilliant stuff is. <laughs> this is almost one of those. Better than that, I bet you didn't know this one, Pat. You can download an app, and if someone phones you on your mobile, 
it'll say yep. that you're in a call. Yes. Fantastic, isn't it? Yep. I use that one every day. Yep. And um, if your mobile phone rings, you can set it so as soon as you put the headset on, it answers the phone. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Now, the, now the, old, the downside. How much one of these beauties? Yeah. How much one of these beauties set you back? Uh, you, you know what? I I don't remember. I buy so many different headsets. Uh, I have I've got like six headsets on my desk right now. But um, but it's it's a really nice headset and it's really configurable um, through uh, the little software app that you can download. Although it's not required for you to download that, that does give you some some extra features. So but getting back to that for it and uh, a battery gauge as well. Yes, and, and uh, some in, great in, pictures on, and put those on your blog of, of what it looks like. Right, and and with uh, I was going to say that getting back to the automatic answering of your cell phone, that's okay until you configure Simul Ring and Link to to ring your your cell phone at the same time, and then it's kind of a race to get the headset on fast enough so you can <laughs> you can answer with the Link client instead of having it auto answer your cell phone, but. Uh, um, it, it's it's a nice headset, and I know uh, uh, Matt Landis was saying that he's had reports of, you know, if people bend over to uh, to do something, that the headset falls off, and I, I haven't had that problem. But well, uh, let's try it now. Uh, I'm just putting the headset on uh, for the benefit of the listeners at home. All right, it's on the head. Let's bend over and see what happens. It does fall off, but I had to shake my head a little bit to make it happen. Uh, so, and my normal headset, well, my, my normal headphones, they're, they're literally glued to my head. So, so yeah, I, I, I get it. I hadn't noticed it did that, though, to be honest. Uh, and I, I, walk it, I walk around the house with it on most days. Yeah, I just make a point of not bending over and putting <laughs> things up and yeah, problem, stop problem dropping solved. stuff. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's a nice headset, and they do make a single-ear version called the 710 that has all the same features. Now, uh, but I think, to be honest, if I could go back and swap it, I would have had the, the single-ear one. Oh, I like the dual-ear. Because when I've got both ears on, I'm very much closed off. I can't hear what I'm saying. Uh, it, it's, that, the same that, as that's you the downside. Yeah, yeah that's... I, can't, I can't do a stereo headset. So, so I end up putting it just over one ear. Yeah, that is that is the one downfall I did see with this headset. You know, you, you, people don't realize as much that when you're on the phone, you do hear your own voice in your ear through the phone. Yeah. Um, and that's not the case really with the the black wire headsets, and that can be somewhat distracting um, because it sounds like you're talking into a, a dead connection. Um, but that was really the only the only issue that I've found with that headset. The rest of it, I, I think, is it's a great headset. It's got good sound. People uh, uh, said that it, you know they could hear me clear, um, no issues. Um, I like the fact that the the control unit on the cable mutes the link client and not just the headset. Um, so it, it's it's a nice headset. I recommend it. Yes, it is very good. Uh, the only downside, the only negative thing I can say about it really is you you think, oh, I'm going to get a, a stereo headset. I can use it for more than one thing. And the audio quality, I don't think is particularly great because the way I, I envisaged myself using it on a day-to-day -day basis was sticking this thing into the PC and link calls I'd use. Uh, mobile calls I'd use, and then if someone, if I, if I wanted to listen to some music, I'd use this as my uh, normal headset for listening to music. And the the audio quality for listening to music pretty much does suck. 
uh, at least in my opinion. Uh, you know, I've, I've got a reasonable pair uh, of normal headphones, uh, and these sound to me, listening to music on iTunes, worse than a, a 20 quid pair of headphones, unfortunately. Uh, but for all other purposes, it, it's pretty good, and it, it definitely is much, much better than the the, the uh, Bluetooth ear set that uh, you sent me, Pat. Uh, it's it's much better quality than that. Uh, I've had some real negative feedback from people I've been on conference calls with when I've used the the normal. Uh, what what's it? What, what was the the, the uh, Bluetooth headset you sent me again, Pat? Was it um, the Legend? The Legend, yeah. Uh, you know, I, the, I I know that that Matt is probably going to be listening to this uh, one day, and and they absolutely took the mick out of me. Uh, after I was on a conference call, because I, I was outside, you know, it just uh, shields you from wind, and all they could hear was everything around me. They could hear everything but me, and uh, it was the road, and they, 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 it wasn't very good at all. Uh, so, but this headset is, is definitely a, a lot, lot better uh, for going on those kind of calls where you want to speak to the customer, you want to be heard, and you don't want to get a lot of background noise. Yeah, and, and to be honest, I have not tried the uh, listening to audio, uh, to music or anything like that through these headphones. I've got some uh, Bose speakers in my office here, but um, but other than that, it, it's it's worked real well for me. I've been pr- very happy with it. Yep, so the uh, Plantronics Blackwire C720M, available both in uh, single-ear and, uh, and, and two-ear configurations. Yeah, it's the, available the in shops um, near you today. Yeah, the Dash M, I think, means uh, the Microsoft version, so it's compatible. Right. It's uh, optimized for Link. Cool. Uh, and yeah, that, that soft, the plug-in software is is what makes it. Uh, so, get touching back on on our LinkedIn group. Uh, if you check that out, if you've got this and you've used these features and you've got any feedback on them, then pop onto our LinkedIn group, and there, there is a thread there where we actually discuss what. Uh, what sort of software features for integration, particularly with Plantronics, because uh, it was a, a Plantronics product manager that asked us to, to, to talk about uh, software plugins a, a few months ago. Um, what wants to find out what, what they can add to the product to make it a bit better. Our last topic of the day uh, is really just a, a plug. Uh, Michael, uh, did you get audio back in the end? Yes, I did. He did, yes. He, he dropped out uh, a little while ago, and I wondered whether he'd be here for the close of the show. And uh, we, we mentioned it in the in, in the, the beginning of the show, and I'm going to mention it again. Exchange Connections, Las Vegas, Tony Redmond, and more. If you like Exchange, then you'll like Exchange Connections. Uh, the biggest non-Microsoft conference, I believe, in the world, uh, brought on by Pentum Media, who uh, are the publishers of Windows IT Pro and uh, other IT-related uh, publications. And uh, Pat is going to be there. Johan yeah. is going to be there, I think, as well. And Vegas, baby! Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the, the one thing you see architect in particular is we are going to be having a bit of a, a panel show uh, that uh, Tony Redmond is so kindly uh, trying to organize for us, uh, where we're going to be able to, to talk to uh, hopefully uh, some product group people uh, still to be set in stone and perhaps can put some questions from the listeners to them and from the audience as well. Uh, perhaps a, a question time, uh, if you like, uh, for exchange. 
and uh, and of course uh, the the wonderful Michael Van Horenbeek and others are going to be presenting some great sessions there, myself included. Uh, and it is a chocker sort of event. There's there's tons of MVPs and MCMs, Exchange and other technology pros uh, are going to be there, both as both as attendees and uh, and talking about the technologies that they love. Uh, we'll have the link up for Exchange and IT Dev Pro Connections uh, up on the website uh, so have, you can check out more. Have you taken a look at the entire lineup of speakers? It is amazing. It's it immense, is by yeah. far one of the best lineups I have seen for a conference. So, um, and I'm shamelessly telling people here uh, on the show that if they haven't registered and they are free to go to a conference uh, in that time frame of the year, they should definitely go there because when I take a look at the sessions, and I'm not talking about my sessions, uh, hmm. um, there are so many good speakers and there are so many good sessions scheduled, yeah. it's going to be so worth it. Well, yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I'm not talking about my sessions. My justification to my employer was the sort of sessions that, that are there. It, it's it's more than just being able to go there and and, and talk about things that I, I love. Uh, it's that the other sessions as well. So you've got uh, more detailed sessions than I think would have seen a ticket from some of the the product group, or at least uh, bringing them bang up to date for for August or well early October at the time. And and then the, the non Microsoft stuff, the the stuff that really comes from real world experience. Uh, and that the, the people that are there, Office 365 MVPs, Exchange MVPs, uh, talking about the the Exchange tracks. Uh, I've put myself down to a bunch of other sessions as well, so I, I've already got a, a busy week there. I, I kind of thought, because I've never been to Las Vegas before, that if there wasn't tons of stuff there, then you know it, it'll be a bit of a jolly. But actually, I think I'm going to be in a lot of sessions, so I, I looked at... Uh, uh, what I was going to do, and I'm pretty much in, a, in something every single day. So uh, the guys can see on my screen, I've got absolutely tons of stuff. So uh, there's uh, an exchange sizing session, uh, probably a, a, a better version than that than we had at Ticket uh, from uh, Jeff. Uh, migrating modern public folders, the worry-free way. That sounds interesting. Exchange 2013 site resiliency, Hyper-V best practices. Uh, those are just uh, the, the stuff I'm going to see on the Tuesday. There's, there's, there's really good stuff every day of that conference. So I, I can't wait to go. And unfortunately, I'm not going to see hardly any of Vegas because uh, I'm, I'm in and out before and, and after the conference. Oh. Uh, well, actually, it would, have been, it would have been fun to, uh, you know, have a uh, a hangover type experience. Uh. I know, I know, but yeah. So, so I, I'm sure I'll have a, a few beers on the night though. And my wife and, has and, made me promise that I've got to gamble, which is weird because I. And Motley <laughs> Crew will be in. Michelle says, week. "Who's having the tattoo?" <laughs> it, you know, if if it's anyone, it's going to be me that comes back with missing teeth. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. So on that note, I'm going to wrap up the show today. Uh, so yeah, uh, you'll see the, the link to Exchange Connections on the website. Uh, but I'd like to thank uh, my co-host this week, Pat, the other host uh, for the, the odd shows, uh, the, the shows that I'm not uh, hosting, Stolle Hansen, Johan Veldus, Michael Van Horenbeek, Justin Morris, and Michelle has popped up a few times uh, during the show as well. Thank you to you all for spending your Friday evenings with me. We want to uh, remind you that the UC Architects are online. 
visit our website today at www.theucarchitects.com or follow us on Twitter at The UC Architects. We're on Facebook too at facebook.com slash The UC Architects. And of course, we've got a wonderful LinkedIn group that you can join today. Our podcast episodes are always available in the iTunes store via our wonderful Johan produced Windows phone app and of course in your favourite RSS podcast app and if you want see our website for everything on the show today and we'll see you back for the next episode in a couple of weeks time with Pat hosting thanks for listening